Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we are going to read chapters 41 to 42 and in the previous episode we read chapters 39 to 40 to which Reyna had tried celebrating her victory over Orion but was unable to do so as as, sh- as soon as she had taken the arrow out of Blackjack's side she had seen that the Onagers had shot their first volley, which indicates, I believe, the start of the Greek and Roman War. So now, we are switching perspectives to Piper, and seeing how the rest of the group is going, and how they're faring in their journey, and just catching up with them, I guess you could say. So chapter 41, Piper. Piper wasn't surprised when the snake people arrived. All week, she'd been thinking about her encounter with Skyrim the Bandit, when she'd stood on deck of the Argo II after just escaping a gigantic, destructo turtle and made the mistake of saying, We're safe. Instantly, an arrow had hit the mainmast, an inch in front of her nose. Piper learned a valuable lesson from that. Never assume you're safe, and never, ever tempt the fates by announcing that you think you're going to be safe. So when the ship docked at the harbor in Piraeus, on the outskirts of Athens, Piper resisted the urge to breathe a sigh of relief. Sure, they had finally reached their destination, somewhere nearby, past those rows of cruise ships, past those hills crowded with buildings. They would find the Acropolis. Today, one way or another, their journey would end. But that didn't mean she could relax. Any moment, a nasty surprise might come flying out of nowhere. As it turned out, the surprise was three dudes with snake tails instead of legs. Piper was on watch while her friends greeted, geared up for combat, checking their weapons and armor, loading the ballistae and catapults. She spotted the snake guys slithering along the docks, winding through crowds of mortal tours who paid them no attention. Um... Annabeth? Piper called. Annabeth and Percy came to her side. Oh, great, Percy said. Dracone. Annabeth narrowed her eyes. I don't think so. At least not like any I've seen. Dracone have two serpent trunks for legs. These guys just have one. You're right, Percy said. These look human on top, too. Not all scaly and green and stuff. So do we talk or fight? Piper was tempted to say fight. She couldn't help thinking of the story she told Jason, about the Cherokee hunter who broke his taboo and turned into a snake. These three look like they've been eating a lot of squirrel meat. Weirdly, the one in the lead, le- lead reminded Piper of her dad when he'd grown a beard for his role in King of Sparta. The snake man held his head high. His face was chiseled and bronze, his eyes black and basalt, his curly dark hair glistening with oil. His upper body rippled with muscles, covered only by a Greek clemis, a white wool cloak loosely wrapped and pinned at the shoulder. From the waist down, his body was one giant serpent trunk, but eight feet of green tail undulating behind him as he moved. In one hand, he carried a staff, topped with a glowing green jewel. In his other, he carried a platter covered with a silver dome, like an entree for a fancy dinner. The two guys behind him appeared to be guards. They wore bronze breastplates and elaborate helmets topped with horsehair bristles. Their spears were tipped with green stone points. 
and oval shields were emblazoned with a large Greek letter K, Kappa. They stopped a few yards from the Argo II. The leader looked up and studied the demigods. His expression was intense, but inscrutable. He might have been angry or worried, or terribly in need of a restroom. Permission to come aboard. His rasping voice made Piper think of a straight razor being wiped across a strop, like in her grandfather's barbershop back in Oklahoma. Who are you? she asked. He fixed his dark eyes on her. I am Kekrops, the first and eternal king of Athens. I would welcome you to my city. He held up the covered platter. Also, I brought a bun cake. Piper glanced at her friends. A trick? Probably, Annabeth said. At least he brought dessert. Percy smiled down at the snake guys. Who welcome aboard? Kekrops agreed to leave his guards above deck, both Buford the table, who ordered them to drop and give him 20 push-ups. The guards seemed to take this as a challenge. Meanwhile, the king of Athens was invited to the mess hall for a get-to-know-you meeting. Please, take a seat, Jason offered. Kekrops wriggled his nose. Snake people do not sit. Please remain standing, Leo said. He cut the cake and stuffed a piece in his mouth before Piper could warn him it might be poisoned or inedible for mortals, or just plain bad. Dang, he grinned. Snake people know how to make a bun cake. Kind of orangey, with a hint of honey. Needs a glass of milk. Snake people do not drink milk, Kekrop said. We are lactose intolerant reptiles. (laughs) Me too, Frank said. I mean, lactose intolerant, not a reptile. Though I can be a reptile sometimes. Anyway, Hazel interrupted. King Kekrops, what brings you here? How did you know we'd arrived? I know everything that happens in Athens, Kekrops said. I was the city's founder. It's first king, born of the earth. I am the one who judged the dispute between Athena and Poseidon and chose Athena to be the patron of the city. No hard feelings, though, Percy muttered. Annabeth elbowed him. I've heard of you, Kekrops. You were the first to offer sacrifices to Athena. You built a shrine on the Acropolis. Correct. Kekrops sounded bitter, like he regretted his decision. My people were the original Athenians. The Gemini. Like your zodiac sign? Percy asked. I'm a Leo. No, stupid, Leo said. I'm a Leo. You're a Percy. Will you two stop it? Hazel chided. I think he means Gemini, like doubled. Half man, half snake. That's what his people are called. He's a Geminis. Singular? Yes. Catcrops leaned away from Hazel as if she somehow offended him. Millennia ago, we were driven underground by the two-legged humans. But I know the ways of the city better than any city, but better than any. I came to warn you. If you try to approach the Acropolis above ground, you will be destroyed. Jason stopped nibbling his cake. You mean, by you? By Porphyrian's armies, said the Snake King. 
The Acropolis is ringed with great siege weapons. Onagers. More Onagers? Frank protested. Did they have a sale on them or something? The Cyclops, Hazel guessed. They're supplying both Octavian and the Giants. Percy grunted. Like we need a more proof that Octavian is on the wrong side. That is not the only threat, Catcrops warned. The air is filled with storm spirits and griffins. All roads to the Acropolis are patrolled by the Earthborn. Frank drummed his fingers on the bun cake cover. So what, we, we should give up? We've come too far for that. I offer you an alternative, said Kekrops. Underground passage to the Acropolis for the sake of Athena, for the sake of the gods. I will help you. The back of Piper's neck tingled. She remembered when the giantess Paraboya had said in her dream that the demigods would find friends in Athens as well as enemies. Perhaps the giantess had met Kekrops and his snake people, but there was something in Kekrops' voice that Piper didn't like. That razor against drop tone as if he was preparing to make a sharp cut. What's the catch? she asked. Kekrops turned those inscrutable dark eyes on her. Only a small party of demigods. No more than three could pass undetected by the giants. Otherwise, your scent would give you away. But our underground passages could lead you straight into the ruins of the Acropolis. Once there, you could disable the siege weapons by stealth and allow the rest of your crew to approach. With luck, you could take the giants by surprise. You might be able to disrupt their ceremony. Ceremony? Leo asked. Ho ho! Like to wake Gaia. Even now it has begun, Kekrops warned. Can you not feel the earth trembling? We, the Gemini, are your best chance. Piper heard eagerness in his voice. Almost hunger. Percy looked around the table. Any objections? Just a few, Jason said. We're on the enemy's doorstep. We're being asked to split up. Isn't that how people get killed in horror movies? Also, Percy said, Gaia wants us to reach the Parthenon. She wants our blood to water the stones and all that other psycho garbage. Won't we be playing right into our hands? Annabeth caught Piper's eye. She asked a silent question. What's your feeling? Piper still wasn't used to that. The way Annabeth looked at her for advice now, ever since Sparta, they learned that they could tackle problems together from two different sides. Annabeth saw the logical thing, the tactical move. Piper had gut reactions that were anything but logical. Together, they either solved the problem twice as fast or they hopelessly confused each other. Catcroft's offer made sense. At least it sounded like the least suicidal option. But Piper was certain that the Snake King was hiding his true intentions. She just didn't know how to prove it. Then she remembered something her father had told her years ago. You were named Piper because Grandpa Tom thought you would have a powerful voice. You would learn all of the Cherokee songs, even the song of the snakes. A myth from a total, totally different culture. Yet here she was, facing the king of the snake people. She began to sing Summertime, one of her dad's favorites. 
Kekrop stared at her in wonder. He began to sway. At first, Piper was self-conscious, singing in front of all her friends and a snake guy. Her dad had always told her she had a good voice, but she didn't like to draw attention to herself. She didn't even like to participate at campfire sing-alongs. Now her words filled the mess hall. Everyone listened, transfixed. She finished the first verse. No one spoke for a count of five. Pipes, Jason said. I, I had no idea. That was beautiful, Leah said. Leah agreed. Maybe not. You know, Calypso beautiful, but still. Piper kept the Snake King's gaze. What are your real intentions? To deceive you. He said in a trance, still swaying. We hope to lead you into the tunnels and destroy you. Why? Piper asked. The Earth Mother has promised us great rewards. If we spill your blood under the Parthenon, that'll be sufficient to complete her awakening. But you serve Athena. Piper said. You founded her city. Kekrops made a low hiss. And in return, the goddess abandoned me. Athena replaced me with a two-legged human king. She drove my daughters mad. They leaped to their deaths from the cliffs of Acropolis. The original Athenians, the Gemini, were driven underground and forgotten. Athena, the goddess of wisdom, turned her back on us, but wisdom comes from the earth as well. We are first and last, the children of Gaia. The earth mother has promised us a place in the sun of the upper world. Gaia is lying, Piper said. She intends to destroy the upper world, not give it to anyone. Kekrops bared his fangs. Then we will be no worse off than we were under the treacherous gods. He raised his staff, but Piper launched into another verse of summertime. The snake king's arms went limp, his eyes glassed over. Piper sang a few more lines as she risked another question. The giant's defense, the underground passage to the Acropolis. How much of what you told us is true? All of it, Kekrops said. The Acropolis is heavily defended, just as I described. Any approach above ground would be impossible. So you could guide us through your tunnels? Piper said. That's also true? Kekrops frowned. Yes. And if you ordered your people not to attack us, she said, they would obey? Yes, but... Kekrops shuddered. Yes, they would obey. Three of you at most could go without attracting the attention of the giants. Animate's eyes darkened. Piper, we'd be crazy to try it. He'll kill us at the first opportunity. Yes, the Snake King agreed. Only this girl's music controls me. I hate it. Please sing some more. Piper gave him another verse. Leo got into the act. He picked up a couple of spoons and made them do high kicks on the tabletop until Hazel slapped his arm. I should go, Hazel said, if it's underground. Never, Kekrop said. A child of the underworld. My people would find your presence revolting. No charming music would keep them from slaying you.
Hazel swallowed. Or I could stay here. Me and Percy, Hannibal suggested. Um, Percy raised his hand. Just gonna throw this out of here again. That's exactly what Gaia wants. You and me. Our blood watering the stones, etc. I know. Anna's expression was grim. But it's the most logical choice. The oldest shrines in the Acropolis are dedicated to Poseidon and Athena. Kekrops, wouldn't that mask our approach? Yes, the Snake King admitted. Your, your scent would be difficult to discern. The ruins always radiate the power of those two gods. And me, Piper said at the end of her song. You'll need me to keep our friend here in line. Jason squeezed her hand. I still hate the idea of splitting up. But it's our best shot, Frank said. The three of them sneak in and disable the onagers, cause a distraction, and then the rest of us fly in with ballistae blazing. Yes, Kekrop said. That plan could work. If I do not kill you first. I've got an idea, Annabeth said. Frank, Hazel, Leo, let's talk. Piper, can you keep your friend musically incapacitated? Piper started a different song. Happy Trails. A silly tune her dad used to sing to her whenever they left Oklahoma to return to L.A. Annabeth, Leo, and Frank, and Hazel left to talk strategy. Well, Percy Rosen offered his hand to Jason. Until we meet again at the Acropolis, bro. I'll be the one killing giants. And that's the end of chapter 41. This Kekrops um, guy seems to be a very interesting fellow indeed. It was a very fascinating chapter, and it's very interesting to see how exactly, for the first time, we don't see essentially a monster... Or at least the way he was trying to go about this Kekrops. It's very interesting because it's not something that previous monsters have done they will usually went straight for the attack but kekrops is taking more of a logical approach and tried to trap them uh into a place where he knew they couldn't escape and i think that that's really interesting to notice because it's something that also is the reason why they hold back and is why they also realize why this deal seems too good to be true, especially considering it was a monster. You don't see a lot of monsters coming up with deals that usually end up benefiting the demigods. So yes, after chapter 41, we'll see how exactly they're going to go with the rest of their plan and how they plan to intercept the battle that is occurring right now at Camp Half-Bullet. So we we will read chapter 42 after the break. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 42, Piper. Piper's dad used to say that being in the airport didn't count as visiting a city. Piper felt the same way about sewers. From the port to the Acropolis, she didn't see anything of Athens except dark, putrid tunnels. The snake men led them through an iron storm grate at the docks, straight into their underground lair, which smelled of rotting fish, mold, and snakeskin. The atmosphere made it hard to sing about summertime and cotton and easy living, but Piper kept it up. 
If she stopped for longer than a minute or two, Catcrops and his guards started hissing and looking angry. I don't like this place, Namath murmured. Reminds me of when I was underneath Rome. Catcrops hissed with laughter. Our domain is much older. Much, much older. Annabeth slipped her hand into Percy's, which made Piper feel downhearted. She wished Jason were with her. Heck, she'd even settle for Leo, though maybe she wouldn't have held his hand. Leo's hand tended to burst into flames when he was nervous. Piper's voice echoed through the tunnels. As they traveled farther into the lair, more snake people gathered to hear her. Soon, they had a procession following behind them. Dozens of Gemini all swaying and slithering. Piper had lived up to her granddad's prediction. She had learned the song of the snakes, which turned out to be a George Gershwin number from 1935. And so far, she had even kept the snake king from biting. Just like in the old Cherokee story. The only problem with that legend, the warrior who learned the snake song had to sacrifice his wife for the power. Piper didn't want to sacrifice anyone. The vial of the physician's cure was still wrapped in its chamoy cloth, tucked in her belt pouch. She didn't have time to consult with Jason and Leo before she left. She just had to hope that they would all be reunited on the hilltop before anyone needed the cure. If one of them died and she couldn't reach them, just keep singing, she told herself. They passed through crude stone chambers littered with bones. They climbed slopes so steep and slippery it was nearly impossible to keep their footing. At one point, they passed a warm cave the size of a gymnasium filled with snake eggs, their tops covered with a layer of silver filaments like slimy Christmas tinsel. More and more snake people joined their procession. Slithering behind her, they sounded like an army of football players shuffling with sandpaper on their cleats. Piper wondered how many Gemini lived down there. Hundreds? Maybe thousands. She thought she heard her own heartbeat echoing through the corridors, getting louder and louder the deeper they went. Then she realized the persistent boom-ba-boom was all around them, resonating through the stone in the air. I wake. A woman's voice, as clear as Piper's singing. Annabeth froze. Oh, that's not good. It's like Tartarus, Percy said, his voice edgy. You remember his heartbeat when he appeared. Don't, Annabeth said. Just don't. Sorry. In the light of his sword, Percy's face was like a large firefly, a hovering moment of smudge of brightness in the dark. The voice of Gaia spoke again louder. At last. Piper's singing wavered. Fear washed over her, as it had in the Spartan temple. But the gods, Phobos and Deimos, were old friends to her now. She let the fear burn inside her like fuel, making her voice even stronger. She sang for the snake people, for her friend's safety. Why not for Gaia, too? Finally, they reached the top of a steep slope, where the path ended in a curtain of green goo. Kekrops faced the demigods. Beyond this... Camouflage is the Acropolis. You must remain here. I will check that your way is clear. Wait! Piper turned to address the crowd of Gemini. There is only death above. You will be safer in the tunnels. Hurry back. Forget you saw us. Protect yourselves. The fear in her voice 
channeled perfectly with the charm speak. The snake people, even the guards, turned and slithered into the darkness, leaving only the king. Kekrops, Piper said, you're planning to betray us as soon as you step through that goo. Yes, he agreed. I will alert the giants. They will destroy you. Then he hissed. Why did I tell you that? Listen to the heartbeat of Gaia, Piper urged. You can sense her rage, can you? Can't you? Kekrops wavered. The end of his staff glowed dimly. I can, yes. She is angry. She'll destroy everything, Piper said. She'll reduce the Acropolis to a smoking crater. Athens, your city, will be utterly destroyed. Your people along with it. You believe me, don't you? I, I do. Whatever hatred you have for humans, for demigods, for Athena, we're the only chance to stop Gaia. So you will not betray us. For your own sake and your people, you will scout the territory and make sure the way is clear. You will say nothing to the giants. Then you will return. That is what I'll do. Kekrops disappeared through the membrane of goo. Annabeth shook her head in amazement. Piper, that was incredible. We'll see if it works. Piper sat down on the cool stone floor. She figured she might as well rest while she could. The others squatted next to her. Percy handed her a canteen of water, and until she took a drink, Piper hadn't realized how dry her throat was. Thanks. Percy nodded. You think the charm will last? I'm not sure, she admitted. If Kakrops comes back in two minutes with an army of giants, then no. The heartbeat of Gaia echoed through the floor. Strangely, it made Piper think of the sea, how the waves boomed along the cliffs of Santa Monica back home. She wondered what her father was doing right now. It would be the middle of the night in California. Maybe he was asleep or doing a late-night TV interview. Piper hoped he was in his favorite spot, the porch off the living room, watching the moon over the Pacific, enjoying some quiet time. Piper wanted to think he was happy and content right now, in case they failed. She thought about her friends in the Aphrodite cabin at Camp Half-Blood. She thought about her cousins in Oklahoma, which was odd since she'd never spent time with them. She didn't even know them very well. Now she was sorry about that. She wished she'd taken more advantage of her life, appreciated things more. She would always be grateful for her family aboard the Argo II. But she had so many other friends and relatives she wished she could see one last time. Do you guys ever think about your families? She asked. It was a silly question, especially on the cusp of a battle. Piper should have been focused on their quest, not distracting their friends. But they didn't include her. They didn't chide her. Percy's gaze became unfocused. His lower lip quivered. My mom. I haven't even seen her since Hera made me disappear. I called her from Alaska. I gave Coach Head some letters to deliver to her. I... His voice broke. She's all I got. Her and my stepdad, Paul. And Tyson, Annabeth reminded him. And Grover, and... Yeah. Of course, Percy said. Thanks. I feel better, much better. Piper probably shouldn't have laughed, but she was too full of nervousness and melancholy to hold it in. What about you, Annabeth? My dad... My stepmom and stepbrothers. 
She turned the Dracon bone blade in her lap. After all I've been through in the past year, it seems stupid that I've resented them for so long. And my dad's relatives? I haven't even thought about them in years. I have an uncle and cousin in Boston. Percy looked shocked. You with the Yankees, Cap? You've got family in Red Sox County? Country? Hammond yeah, smiled weakly. I never see them. My dad and my uncle don't get along. Some old rivalry. I don't know. It's stupid what keeps people apart. Piper nodded. She wished she had the healing powers of Asclepius. She wished she could look at people and see what was hurting them, then whip out her prescription pad and make everything better, but she guessed there was a reason Zeus kept Asclepius locked away in his underground temple. Some pain shouldn't be wished away so easily. It had to be dealt with, even embraced. Without the acne of the last few months, Piper never would have found her best friends, Hazel and Annabeth. She never would have discovered her own courage. She certainly would have had had the guts to sing show tunes to the snake people under Athens. At the top of the tunnel, the Greek membrane rippled. Percy grabbed, Piper grabbed her sword and rose, prepared for the flood of monsters. But Kekrops emerged alone. The way is clear, he said. But hurry, the ceremony is almost complete. Pushing through a curtain of mucus was almost as fun as Piper imagined. She emerged feeling like she just rolled through a giant's nostril. Fortunately, none of the gunk stuck to her, but still her skin tang- tingled with a revulsion. Piper, Annabeth, and she found themselves in a cool, damp pit that seemed to be the basement level of a temple. All around them, uneven ground stretched into darkness under a low ceiling of stone. Directly above their heads, a rectangular gap was open to the sky. Piper could see the edges of walls and the tops of columns, but no monsters yet. The camouflage membrane had closed behind them and blended into the ground. Piper pressed her hand against it. The area seemed to be solid rock. It wouldn't be leaving the way they'd come. Ameth ran her hand along some marks on the ground, a jagged crow's foot shape as long as a human body. The area was lumpy and white like scone star tissue. This is the place, she said. Percy, these are trident marks of Poseidon. Hesitantly, Percy touched the scars. He must have been using his extra, extra large trident. This is where he struck the earth, Annabeth said, where he made a saltwater spring appear when he had the context with my mom to sponsor Athens. So this is where the rivalry started, Percy said. Yeah. Percy pulled Annabeth close and kissed her. Long enough for it to get really awkward for Piper, though she said nothing. She thought about the old rule of Aphrodite's cabin, that to be recognized as a daughter of the love goddess, you had to break someone's heart. Piper had long decided to change that rule. Percy and Annabeth were a perfect example of why. You should have to make someone's heart whole. That was a much better test. When Percy pulled away, Annabeth looked like a fish grasping for air. The rivalry ends here, Percy said. I love you, wise girl. Annabeth made a little sigh, like something in her ribcage had melted. Percy glanced at Piper. Sorry, I had to do that. Piper grinned. How could a daughter of Aphrodite not approve? You're a great boyfriend. Annabeth made another grunt whimper. Um, anyway, we're beneath the Erechtheion. It's a temple to both Athena and Poseidon. 
The Parthenon should be catty corner to the southeast. We'll need to sneak around the perimeter and disable as many siege weapons as we can. Make an approach path to the, for the Argo II. It's broad daylight, Piper said. How will we go unnoticed? Pa- Annabeth scanned the sky. That's why I made a plan with Frank and Hazel. Hopefully, ah, uh, look. A bee zipped overhead. Dozens more followed. They swarmed around a column, then hovered over the opening of the pit. Say hi to Frank, everybody, Annabeth said. Piper waved. The cloud of bees zipped away. How does that even work? Bracey said. Like, one bee's a finger? Two bees are his eyes? I don't know, Annabeth admitted. But he's our go-between. As soon as he gives Hazel the word, she will... Gah! Percy yelled. Annabeth clamped her hand over his mouth which looked strange because suddenly each of them had turned into a hulking six-armed earthborn? Hazel's mist. Piper's voice sounded deep and gravelly. She looked down and realized that she too now had a lovely Neanderthal body. Belly hair, loincloth, stubby legs, and oversized feet. If she concentrated, she could see her normal arms, but when she moved them, they rippled like mirages separating into three different sets of muscular earthborn arms. Percy grimaced, which looked even worse on his new uglified face. Oh, wow, Annabeth. I'm really glad I kissed you before you changed. Thanks a lot, she said. We should get going. I'll move clockwise around the perimeter. Piper, you move counterclockwise. Percy, you scout the middle. Wait, Percy said. We're walking right into the whole blood-spilling sacrifice trap we've been warned about, and you want to split up even more? We'll cover more ground that way, Annabeth said. We have to hurry. That chanting? Piper hadn't noticed until then, but now she heard it, an ominous drone in the distance like a hundred forklifts idling. She looked at the ground and noticed bits of gravel trembling, skittering southeast as it pulled toward the Parthenon. Right, Piper said. We'll meet up at the giant's throne. At first, it was easy. Monsters were everywhere. Hundreds of ogres, earthborn, and cyclops milling through the ruins. But most of them were gathered at the Parthenon, watching the ceremony in progress. Piper strolled along the cliffs of the Acropolis, unchallenged. Near the first onager, three earthborn were sunning themselves on the rocks. Piper walked right up to them and smiled. Hello! Before they could make a sound, she cut them down with her sword. All three melted into slag heaps. She slashed the onager's spring cord to disable the weapons, then kept moving. She was committed now. She had to do as much damage as possible before the sabotage was discovered. She skirted a patrol of cyclops. The second onager was surrounded by an encampment of tattooed Lashagonian ogres. But Piper managed to get to the machine without raising suspicion. She dropped a vial of Greek fire fire in the sling. With luck, as soon as they tried to load the catapult, it would explode in their faces. She kept moving. Griffins roosted on the colonnade of an old temple. A group of empusai had retreated into a shadowy archway and appeared to be slumbering, their fiery hair flickering dimly, their brass legs glinting. Hopefully the sunlight would make them sluggish if they had to fight. Whenever she could, Piper slew isolated monsters. She walked past larger groups. Meanwhile, the crowd at the Parthenon grew larger. The chanting got louder. Piper couldn't see what was happening inside the ruins. Just the heads of 20 or 30 giants standing in a circle, mumbling and swaying, maybe doing the evil monster version of Kumbaya. 
She disabled a third siege weapon by sawing through the torsion ropes, which should give the Argo II a clear approach from the north. She hoped Frank was watching her progress. She wondered how long it would take for the ship to arrive. Suddenly, the chanting stopped. A boom echoed across the hillside. In the Parthenon, the giants roared in triumph. All around Piper, monsters surged toward the sound of celebration. That couldn't be good. Piper blended into the crowd of sour-smelling earthborn. She bounded up the main steps of the temple and climbed a section of metal scaffolding so she could see above the heads of the ogres and cyclops. The scene and the ruins almost made her cry aloud. Before Porphyrian's throne, dozens of giants stood in a loose ring, hollering and shaking their weapons as two of their number paraded around the circle, showing off their prizes. The princess Peraboya held Annabeth by the neck like a feral cat. The giant Enceladus had Percy wrapped in his massive fist. Annabeth and Percy both struggled helplessly. Their captors displayed them to be the cheering horde of monsters, then turned to face King Porphyrian, who sat in his makeshift throne, his wide eyes gleaming with malice. Right on time, the giant king bellowed. The blood of Olympus to raise the Earth Mother. And that's the end of chapter 42. What a fascinating chapter indeed. It was a... Lots and lots had happened within such a short amount of time. And I think it's really important to see. I think it's really cool that they attempted to do something of a kind of like a shape-shifting kind of form, like Frank. Um, and it worked. It definitely did work. But it's very interesting to see how exactly did Percy and Animus end up being caught. You know, um, I think it's just really inter- fascinating that... They were disguised as monsters, so what exactly could have happened, could have possibly happened, for the monsters to catch on that they were not, in fact, monsters, but humans in disguise? We'll have to see when we read the next two chapters next week, and see how they're going to be able to get out of that. But I have utmost hope that the three of them will be able to get out of anything. But yes, that concludes the end of our chapters. And we will now be moving on to the Q&A session. Um, the shoutouts will actually be posted on the description of this podcast. And I think that in order for me to give justice to the names to be shouted out, I think it's better to type them out, type them out instead, um, instead of mispronouncing them um, if I do end up making that mistake. So yes, we'll just be focusing on the Q&As um, from now onwards, and all of the shoutouts will be posted on the episode description so feel forward to look uh feel free to look forward to that and then of uh, of course uh some disclaimers uh number one sometimes i may not answer a question because i may feel a bit too uncomfortable at answering that at the moment that does not mean that i wish to discourage anybody from and asking any questions because you all are free to ask as many questions and it makes me feel even more happier that you all are so passionate about or interested in asking me or what just wondering about who I am as a person and I really appreciate that um and then second is sometimes I also may not answer questions because I have already answered it in a previous episode so be sure to check those out as well and just see um, most likely, you know, 
it may be answered there. But once again, if I do, if neither of these um, happen or apply to the question and I miss it, then do please let me know in the, this episode and I'll try my best to get it in the next episode. So without further ado, let's start with the questions. Why do you like turtles? I think that turtles are just, they're just so calm and so loving and it's more of just, they don't cause anything. They're just so, they're, they're only, the only thing that they care about in, uh, throughout their entirety of their life is just making it through the, to, through the rest of the day. And I think that that's such a beautiful also concept to look at in general. You know, there's so many animals that just go by the day. And it's important that sometimes it's also important for us to also enjoy just the day as it comes. You know, just being able to find the happiness, find those little tiny happiness moments in a day can lead up to a lot. And I think that that's really what makes it beautiful in general. And I think turtles really like to show that a lot. Um, next question is favorite Pegasus. I think I like Blackjack. The reason why is I've been, we've no, I think I've known him a much, much longer than compared to the other, other horses or other Pegasi. And, but I'd still love to learn more about them. And plus Blackjack's got pretty good sense of humor. Next question is rate the new Percy Jackson show from one to 10. Now, I may be biased because I'm comparing this from the old Percy Jackson movies, but based on my criteria of book accuracy and just the sheer acting and plot in general, and the characters and the, and just the actors behind the characters, I would say it's a eight eight to eight or nine, and you know, I think that they really did. I think that the the fact that they were able to bring Uncle Rick onto the show on onto making the show just makes it a whole lot better and just really improves that accuracy to the book because it's Rick Riordan he wrote the books so it makes a lot more sense for him to make any changes whatsoever uh, if any um and I think that he made a really perfect choice when it came to the casting I mean the essence of them are just beautiful and you can see that as they act throughout the show you can clearly see you know Percy being the seaweed brain, Annabeth being a wise girl, and Grover just being an amazing satyr. So I think that I'm definitely more ex- I'm definitely excited to see um, season two and see where exactly this leads. And yeah, uh, next question is what is something unpopular I enjoy? Um, I'd have to think about that. Um, I'm I'm more of someone who. I don't think I really... I can't really think of anything at the moment. I really have to think about that. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll come back to that one. If I remember. Hopefully. Um, next question. Do you speak any other languages other than English? I did learn a little bit of Spanish. Um, it's a very beautiful language, I must say. And uh, it was a joy being able to learn that language. So yes, I can say that I can speak a little bit of Spanish. Am I fluent? Not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, next question is, per- what would happen if it, was, if it was Percy Jackson versus Harry Potter? Hmm. I have a feeling that Harry Potter would win, just simply because of the fact that... Um, 
there's just a lot more variety when it comes to a wand. Um, obviously, Percy's strengths are combat and, you know, being able to regain his strength whenever he's near water, but Harry's, all of his powers are in a wand, and I feel like his wand can do any, practically any of the elements, and some of those can be a very hard hitter against water-related powers. So yes, I think Harry Potter would win. Uh, next question is, do you draw at all? I draw occasionally. Uh, how's your day going? It's going great. Uh, thoughts on Star Wars? I have not seen it. I know some people that love it, and who knows? Maybe I'll give it a try in the future. Uh, do you take time to plan before making each episode? I do spend a couple of minutes uh, before each episode just coming up with the overall outline, coming up with the questions that were seen throughout the Q&A episodes, and uh, just trying to put those all together, organize them. But yeah. Uh, do you like Broadway? Uh, I think... I haven't seen any musicals on Broadway, but I think that it's... I've heard it's a pretty fun experience, so I'd love to experience it sometime. And what is your favorite pet of the series? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I would probably have to say... Probably have to be Blackjack again. I mean, he's just... I'm, I'm, I really love humor, and I think that Blackjack was easily one of the ones who gave it to me. So I think that that was really, that's what I really liked about him. Blackjack. Um, but yes, that concludes our Q&A session. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Next week, we will continue this by reading chapters 43 to 44, and we'll see how exactly, what exactly happens, and will Percy and Annabeth be able to get out of the fiasco that they have just ended up in? So, Next week, until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.